Any other really bad news? Uh, man, I, perfect. Um, I could tell y'all some incredible stories about Josh and Jess. And so if y'all want those on the side, let me know. Man, Liz, it's good to see you here too. I love it. Um, today, we're going to talk about Advent, right? Um, and um, Advent uh, is a season within the church in, in which we not only look back to who Jesus is and what, he, what he's done and that he's come first, um, it's also a season in which we look ahead, we anticipate um, his uh, second coming. And um, I don't know about you, um, just yesterday um, I was doing a memorial service uh, for uh, the funeral um, of a nine-month-year-old baby who had passed away. Um, the parents are dear and near to me, and um, they're very much a part of our church. And we were coming from Mark 5, and Mark 5 is the story of Jairus' daughter, right, where Jesus walks in and says, Tyler the Kumi, little girl, I said, rise, and, and, and the little girl rose. And uh, this Advent season, man, I'm anticipating Jesus more and more because I know that that's not the last time that Jesus said Tyler the Kumi. Right when he returns, when all the dead and all the dead rise, but I know that he'll stand on the um, he'll he'll stand at the edge of that little girl's tomb. And he'll say Tyler Bakumi once again, and just hearing that yesterday and seeing that yesterday has made me anticipate Jesus even more. And so I'm going to take a moment to pray really quickly, and we're going to dive in. Let us pray. And Father, we know that Advent season is a, is a time in which we not only just look back and remember the fact that Jesus, you came the first time. We look forward and we know that you're coming again and we anticipate that. We hope in that. We know that this life has absolutely nothing to offer us that's better than you. God, in your presence, there's fullness of joy. In your right hand are pleasures forevermore. We can't wait for the day when all tears will be dried, where death itself will die, where pains will cease, where there'll be no more strife. So, Father, will you help us long for that day, hope, that, hope for that day, anticipate that day. We trust you. I pray these things in the name of Jesus. If you agree, say amen. Amen. Hey, y'all, um, so um, years back, um, Amazon, I feel like they're taking over the world, right? And so uh, I feel like uh, Amazon, a couple of years back, they, they um, created uh, this initiative uh, called Amazon Go. Right. I don't know if y'all heard of Amazon Go, but Amazon Go is an actual store that Amazon has. Right. And uh, with Amazon Go, you don't have to stop at the cash register no more. Right. You got the app on your phone. You can pretty much walk in the store. Matter of fact, the commercial showed a dude walking to the store, put a sandwich in his pocket and walked out. Right. Now, where I'm from, they call that stealing. Right. <laughs> um, but when it comes to Amazon, man, Amazon changed the game. You can literally walk in the store, put stuff in your pocket and walk out and not get, ar not get arrested. Right. Like it automatically charges your Amazon account. And I was considering why that appealed to me. And it probably appeals to me for the same reason it appeals to you. Um, is this. I hate lines. Right. Like I hate waiting. Right. I get annoyed standing behind the person back in the day. They don't have this anymore. But back in the day in the stores, they used to have those lines that said, you know, for 15 items or less. Right. I used to hate standing behind people in that line. And they had like 20 items. Right. Because I hate I hate waiting. Right. I get impatient with me. I get impatient with people who are in front of me. They got the 20, 200 coupons they want to scan. Like, I hate waiting. That's why Amazon Go is appealing. Here's the thing. There's nothing wrong with efficiency. Right? There's nothing wrong with the Amazon Go. There's nothing wrong with Netflix bringing you movies right to the house. You ain't got to go nowhere. Right? Uh, it's, not, it's nothing wrong with Uber. Right? Spending time of doing things like us, uh, spending less time doing things like that, uh, free us up to do more important things like spending time with loved ones, right? But there are some trade-offs. Uh, I'm going to read you a, a bit of an article 
um, by a, a columnist, Christopher Mother. He said this. He said the demand for instant results is seeping into every corner of our lives and not just virtually. It says retailers are jumping into same-day delivery services. Smartphone apps eliminate the wait for a cab, a date, or a table at a hot restaurant. Movies and TV shows are, uh, begin streaming in seconds. But experts caution that instant gratification comes at a price. Here it is. It's making us less patient. It's making us less patient. I'm going to give you some more data of the Pew Research Center. Um, it did a, recently did a study of people and, and the danger of our hyper-connected lives like on our phones. And, and it actually sounded like a prescription drug warning. It said this. It said negative effects includes a need for instant gratification and a loss of patience. To put it another way, here's the thing. We live in a culture where we don't need to wait for things. And because of that, we've lost our ability to be patient. Right? See, we live as a people in this culture, and that can easily affect the way that we view the Christian faith. So for all that to say, we are a people that live in this culture, and we're impatient. We're impatient with our brothers and sisters when they don't grow at the rate that we think that they should grow. And then we grow impatient with their walks with Jesus. We can't wait. Sometimes we can wallow in shame because we're not growing at the rate that we think that we should be growing. Right. We have a hard time waiting. We grow frustrated because we're not where we want to be in life. We thought by now that we would have the job, that we would have the house, that we would have the relationship, that we would have all these things. And because we're not where we thought we should be, we grow anxious or we get bitter. We can't wait. Come on, bro. But the Bible reminds us that Christians, hear me today, Christians are awaiting people. Christians are awaiting people. It reminds us that waiting is not something that should be avoided. Waiting is something that should be embraced. And to hope, especially during Advent season, it means that we wait well. I'll give you some examples. Noah waited for the floods to come. Abraham waited for the promised son well into his old age. Joseph waited in prison for years. Moses waited in the wilderness before God used him to lead the Israelites out of Egypt. Caleb and Joshua waited to enter the promised land. David waited to become king. Israel waited for the promised Messiah that would come and save the world. And we today as a church, we wait for his promised return. So today, what I want to do today in this passage is I want to focus on a man who waited. And we can learn a lot about hope from him. So go ahead and head to um, Luke 2. Uh, I'm going to be reading verses 25 through 35 and we'll jump right on in. So here it is. It says, now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. He came in the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he, he namely Simeon, took him up into his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace, according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And his father and mother marveled and what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel. 
and for a sign that is opposed. And a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that thoughts, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. And this is the word of God. So here's the big thing I want to give you today. If you're taking notes, you can write this down. When you hope in Jesus, your hope will never be disappointed. When you hope in Jesus, your hope will never be disappointed. So we see that with Simeon and the same with you. If you learn to wait, if you learn to anticipate, if you learn to hope in Jesus. So we're going to answer three questions today. We're going to answer what kind of person hopes for Jesus? What does it look like to hope for Jesus? And what is the reward for those who hope for Jesus? So first question, well, what kind of person hopes for Jesus? If you've got a Bible, look back at verse 25. So verse 25, we get a description of the kind of life that Simeon lived. Right, Simeon, I love this, Simeon is a common, regular person. Simeon ain't a pastor, he ain't a prophet, he, he's, he's none of that. He's a regular person that God chose to speak to and reveal himself to. And Simeon should encourage you today. Here's the thing. God chooses to speak to and reveal himself to regular, normal people. This should encourage you today, right? This verse describes Simeon. It says, now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous, devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. Simeon is waiting. I love that phrase where it says that he's waiting on the consolation of Israel. In other words, Simeon knew that the world isn't right. Throughout history, the people of Israel had suffered greatly, both because of their own sin, but also because of the oppression of, of, of the peoples around them. Their land was frequently overrun by foreign powers. They suffered under the slavery of Israel, um, of, of Egypt, and endured the troubles of exile. They were a people who were in desperate need of consolation and comfort. The kind of permanent comfort that only can come when the promised Messiah would come. And to save his people from their sins. So Simeon spent his whole life waiting for this. Waiting for the consolation of Israel. Hoping for the Messiah to come and redeem the people. And verse 26 says this. It says that he's been given a unique promise that he would not die before he saw the, before he saw the Christ. The Messiah with his own eyes. So he's waiting and hoping. So I'm going to bring this home to your neighborhood today. Just like Simeon lived with hope for the coming Messiah. When we look around in our world right now, we should be filled with hope for his return too. I don't know about you, but when I look about around my life, I look around the people that I pastor, I look around the place where I live, I see a lot of brokenness around me. I see a lot of pain in the world around me. I see divorce, I see pain, I see loss. And the last couple of years have been a lot, not just for our neighborhood, not just for the church, but for our country at large. And it doesn't matter who you are. We are all looking for comfort from somewhere. And the scriptures say that ultimately we receive that when Christ returns. And so we should hope for him. But here's the thing. Today, many of us don't. We don't hope for Jesus' return as we should. And let me give you a couple of reasons why we don't. Why is that? One reason is because of our sin. Listen, the immediate gratification of sin will kill your anticipation for God. Come on, uh, it's an illustration, man. I, my son, oldest son, his name is Harry Eli. We call him Eli. And um, he loves donuts. <laughs> if he eat donuts for every single meal, he would. Right? Anytime I ask him, Eli, what do you want for dinner? He'll look at me and he'll grin because he know I'm not going to give it to him. And he'll say donuts. Right? 
And here's the thing. I would not be a good father if I constantly gave him donuts. Why? Because donuts will kill his anticipation. Donuts will kill his appetite for real food that will nourish him. Right? And here's the thing. This is where I'm going today. Junk food will kill your desire for real food. You won't even want real food anymore if you eat too much junk food. And just like junk food kills your anticipation and appetite for real food, here's the thing. Sin will, a sin will kill your anticipation and appetite for God. Yeah. It will. This is true of us. Every single one of us in this room, we were once a people who were deeply in love with our sin. We didn't want God. We were filled up with what we thought would satisfy us. We wanted our own way and what we did what we wanted and we could care less about following God. Romans 3 says that no one is righteous, no, not one. And God knew that our sin would kill our appetite for God now and for all eternity. And so he sent his son, Jesus Christ, for us. And Jesus Christ was God in the flesh. He wet our appetite for God. Jesus came, lived a perfect life of full obedience to his father. He died a death on the cross in our place for our sin, taking upon himself the wrath of God that we deserve. He rose again, proving that he's God and that he's victorious over sin, death, and the grave so that anyone would simply come to him. We can have eternal life and we can taste and see that the Lord is good. We can lose our appetites for the broken cisterns of the world and we can have the true and living water in Christ. Now, here's the thing. For those that know the Lord, your lack of desire for God right now could be an indication. It could be of cherished sin in your life. And I want to remind you today, and I've experienced this in my own heart, even this week, there is freedom in confession and repentance. We think that confession and repentance is enslaving. We think that that's the last thing we want to do. But God has always says that he opposed the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Let's humble ourselves and confess our sin and experience that God is good. It's impossible to desire the living water of Jesus when you are constantly filling yourselves up with the polluted water in this world. So one of the reasons why we don't hope in Christ's return is sometimes our sin, our sin ruins our longings for Jesus. But here's another reason why we might stop hoping for Jesus. Here's another one. Our sight. Not just our sin, our sight. And what do I mean by that? Our hope for little things can kill our hope for bigger things. I say all this to say, if you're honest, we don't hope for Jesus as we should because we hope for other things more. Part of our inability to anticipate and long for Jesus is because we keep ourselves stuffed with smaller anticipation. We hope for popularity. We hope for scholarships. We hope for success. We hope for promotions. And those aren't bad. I don't want to tell you guys don't go after those things. But I want to tell you today that these things are so small and tiny compared to what God has in store for you at his second coming. C.S. Lewis once said this. So it's a famous quote that has wrought me to the core. It says this. He said, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sets and ambition where infinite joy is offered to us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he can't imagine what is being what is meant by the offer of a holiday at sea. We are far too easily pleased. You may look at me and you say, Eric, are you telling me I shouldn't hope for those things that you just named? I'm not saying that. But what I will tell you is this. The I want you to hope beyond those things. Come on, 
Hope for success. Hope for college popularity. Hope, um, hope for colleges. Hope for popularity. But none of that would never, would, none of that would satisfy your longing soul. It's going to leave you empty. However, allow those smaller hopes to grow your hope in Christ even more. Listen, here's the thing. Let me tell you. We desire for other people's love because they are actually a small picture of the great love that Jesus can offer. Allow the smaller loves to allow, allow you to anticipate the bigger love. We desire good colleges and scholarships and things like that because ultimately they are a small picture of the kind of glory and honor that Jesus has for us at his second coming. So desire that, but allow that to point to you to something greater. Here's the thing. When you focus on your small anticipations, you will always have small hope in Jesus. It's going to leave you disappointed. Look to Jesus. So here's the thing. So many of us don't hope before, because of our sight and our sin. And here's the thing. Simeon did anticipate. He hoped. Why did he hope? Look at those first two words. It says Simeon. Here it says Simeon is described as righteous and devout. Righteous and devout. Righteous is a big SAT Christianese word. But I'll just explain to you what it means. It just means being like God. It means instead of cherishing sin, you cherish God. It means mirroring the character and nature of God in your character and nature and action. So when I think about that and, and I think about God, every single one of us, whether you're a Christian or not, here's the thing. You don't know it, but you actually want to be like God. And you don't know it, but you actually want friends who are like God. Right? Because God describes himself as loving, as gracious, as kind, as strong, and as peaceful. And deep down inside, we all want to be like that, and we want friends like that. Like, none of us want friends that are hateful or lack grace, right? Or not kind, always mean to you. None of us want those things. And then also it describes uh, Simeon as devout. And that devout meaning is not only to be like God, devout means you actually follow God, right? It means we're committed to God instead of committing ourselves to our little hopes, little anticipations, Simeon hoped in God and he lived like that. And this is how Simeon was described. He was righteous and devout. He loved God. He desired to follow him above all things. And because of that, Simeon waits for his Messiah. And here's the thing. We're not naturally devout or righteous. The scriptures say because of this, we don't anticipate God like we should. But praise God that the gospel changes us. The gospel can change us inside out so that we begin to hope in him rather than in the small things of life. And here me today, the more you grow in your relationship with Jesus, the more you long for his return. If you want an indicator light in your soul, if you, if you want an indication that you are actually growing in Christ's likeness, guess what? Hope actually grows to the same degree. To the degree that you're growing in hope, you're growing in Christ's likeness. You're able to wait. And so my second question is a shorter question. So, all right, what does it look like to wait for Jesus? What does it look like to anticipate him? Look at verse 27. It says that Simeon came in the Holy Spirit into the temple. And Simeon, prompted by the Holy Spirit, takes action. Right? He doesn't just wait and twiddle his own. He takes action. He actually moves to the place where Jesus might be found. Right? He's not passive. He's not twiddling his thumbs and, wait, and, and, and simply uh, sitting back. He's longing, his longing for the Lord causes him to move, right? It causes him to act. And I'm going to bring this home to your neighborhood today. Waiting on Jesus isn't passively waiting. Come on, brother. And isn't just sitting back and 
and, and sitting on the couch and have your arms crossed and be like, Jesus, I'm going to wait for you to come back. I'm just going to wait here. It's an active affair. To hope means to anticipate. I'll give you an analogy. One of the most hilarious experiences that you ever have is if you ever go to a Little League baseball game. I don't know if you've ever, you've ever been to one. I ain't talking about like kids who are in their teens. I'm talking about like when they first start playing, like around five or six, right? Because it's comedy. It's straight up comedy. Because you always have a different cast of characters on the field. Um, typically, um, they stick the, the kid that really can't play, like in right field or left field, right? Because they're not anticipating the, uh, the ball to get hit uh, 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 that far. And I remember going one time going to watch my cousin play in, in, in one of the games, and it was slightly embarrassing, right? Because my cousin, man, he was standing in like, in like uh, center right field, and uh, he was not anticipating at all. <laughs> because he was like laying down, trying to make angels in the grass. Uh, he was picking up uh, flowers, right, and blowing the like little dandelions in the outfield. Man, he was not prepared to receive the ball at all, right? He was just passing the time, right? And so I'm out here yelling through the fence, like, hey, hey, look alive, man. Like, the ball might get hit to you. And he was not listening to me uh, at all. But here's the thing. He may have been out there waiting, but he wasn't anticipating. Anticipating was the kid that I saw actually in the infield playing shortstop. So when he was in the, um, and when he was playing shortstop, he was sitting there with his hands on his knees. He was watching the batter. When the ball got hit, he would get down in the stance. He was ready to receive what was coming to him, yeah. right? And so waiting isn't just being passive. Waiting is putting yourself in a stance like that kid did. He put himself in a stance so that when the ball comes, he was in a position to receive it. Similarly, in the Christian life, we are not called to wait passively. You're not called to be my cousin off in left field, busying yourselves with other pursuits until Jesus Christ comes. We're not called to stand in the, in the right field of life, busying ourselves. We are called to be like Simeon here. We're called to be like that kid that was playing shortstop. We are a people that live as if we are expecting Jesus' return tomorrow. We hope by anticipating. We move as if we are anticipating his return. We get in stance. I love 1 Peter 1, 3, 1, 13. It says this. It says, therefore, preparing your mind for action and being sober minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be bought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who has called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. This, these verses reveal what does that stance look like? How do we look like when we anticipate Christ's return? What does the stance look like? It is a stance of obedience. It's a stance of obedience. Obedience is the stance of those who are anticipating Jesus. We do this in faith. We obey in faith knowing that he's coming back. Our church right now is working through Philippians 2. And I love the verse in Philippians 2. And you actually alluded to, to it when you were given, um, when you were given a devotion. When, when, when it said Jesus, being in the form of God, did not consider equality with God a thing to be grasped, but humbled himself, being born in the likeness of men, made himself a servant. He humbled himself even to the point of obedience, to the point of death, even death, of, death on a cross. Like Jesus obeyed on this earth, the stance of faith, the stance of hope is obedience. He's coming back. So you may say, Eric, specifically, what obedience am I called to do? Well, everything that the Bible says, but let me give you a couple of things. We should obey his call to share the gospel. 
Because if we truly believe that Jesus Christ is coming back, we want other people to experience that as well. We should also obey his call to persevere, right? What Advent season is about is because Jesus Christ is coming back, he's given us what we need in order to hold on. Let me ask you a question. What would, what, how would your life change if you knew that Jesus was returning soon? You ever ask yourself that? Like, how would your life change today, right now? What would your actions, what would your action change? What, what, what was your, how would your leisure change if you knew that Jesus Christ was coming back at 930 tonight? Think about that. If you knew that, what are the things that you would focus on? Romans 13, 11 says this. I love this verse and I quote it to myself all the time when I start feeling lethargic. It says, wake up. Salvation is nearer now than when you first believed. What does it look like to anticipate Jesus? It looks like living like we believe that he could come back at any moment. He will return because he keeps his promises. Here's my last question. What's the reward for those who anticipate Jesus? What's the reward for those who hope in him? I love it. Simeon actually gets what he's waited for his entire life. And in the end, he's satisfied. Look, look at verse 29. Verse 29, it says, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, that you are prepared in the presence of all peoples. A light of revelation to the Gentiles and for the glory of your people, Israel. Lord, he says, Lord, now you're letting your servant depart in peace. Pretty much, man, Simeon just straight up says, God, I could die now. I'm good. Uh, I'm good. Like, I've seen the Christ, right? The Messiah, Lord, you can take me now. I'm satisfied, right? I've seen the promise of salvation, the promise that God made to Abraham, that through Abraham's offspring, that God would bless the world. We see Jesus from the line of Abraham through the lineage of King David. He comes and through him, the world will be blessed. I love this. Verse 32, it says that Jesus will be the light for revelation to the Gentiles and glory to your people, Israel. So I love it because Gentiles or the Gentile people aren't Jews. Right. But like um, it says the Jews will be blessed. But I love it that through the Jews, God blesses the world. We are here today as God's people. We're not Jews. We're blessed through the faithfulness of God's son, Jesus Christ. And this is important to grasp, right? Because of our hope. When we look at the world today or even this past year, so much has happened. When I think about your lives, many of you have gone through some big and hard and, and personal things. This year, they have been incredibly hard. When I look at our culture, I see things that are messed up and they're not right. And we cry just like Israel cried for consolation. We cry out for consolation as well. And Simeon should give you hope this afternoon. Because those who anticipate the coming king will get the coming king. He is our reward. He is our reward. He's coming back, guys, to wipe every single tear we got, to dry eyes, to fix the things that are broken, to comfort those who are in pain. He will return. And hear me today. Listen to this question. Is the fact that Jesus your, is the fact that Jesus is your reward, is that worth it? Is that worth it? I'm closing now, but I, I want to point out something in the text before I close. Go to the last couple of verses in this uh, passage. Verse 33. It says this. It says, and his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, 
Behold, the child is appointed for the fall and rising of many people of Israel. For a sign it is opposed, and a sword will pierce through your own soul also, that the thoughts from many hearts will be revealed. This is an interesting text, and so say it with me here. Simeon predicts that there are many that will rise as a result of their trust in Messiah and the Messiah, and that many people will fall because of their pride and resistance to the thought that Jesus is the Messiah, right? And in verse 35, he says this line to Mary that kind of feels like a line we skip over. Um, he says, and a sword will pierce through your own soul also. Like, what in the world does that mean? Let me explain to you what that might mean. I would suspect, like that memorial service that I set at yesterday, the hardest thing you could probably experience in the world is to see your own son or daughter die. Man, I recently watched this documentary um, a while back. It's called White Helmets. It's on Netflix. And it was about volunteer workers who were responding to the fallout and the war in Syria and Turkey. And it was some of the most heartbreaking scenes imaginable. Like the documentary, we were watching parents who were pulling their children out of the rubble. And these parents were in deep agony. And I think here that Simeon is possibly alluding to Mary experiencing this kind of agony. And there will be a day that Mary would experience the agony of watching her son Jesus die on the cross for the sin of the world. The very thing that gives our world hope gave her unimaginable pain. And many of you tonight are finding it difficult to hope in the Lord because life has filled you with pain today. And I want to encourage you with hope. The pain that Simeon describes produces hope for the world. And hear me today, your pain will not be wasted. Here's the thing. You will not see Jesus face to face in the end. And you, and you will never say that your pain wasn't worth it. I love it. You will not see Jesus face to face in the end. And, and you will never say that your past pleasure was, is better than the moment of seeing him. Hear me today, Jesus is worth your pain. Jesus is greater than anything this world offers. What is the reward for the one that anticipates Jesus? You get Jesus himself. He's worth the wait. He's worth the wait. Let's take a moment in prayer. Father, we love you. And God, I pray that you will grow our hearts to a greater degree to anticipate your return. Forgive us, God, for um, filling our hearts with the anticipation of smaller things and crowding out the ultimate hope of your return. Your return is even more certain than the fact that we'll walk out of this church in a few minutes. Your return is even more certain than the fact that we might arrive home tonight or what we're eating for dinner. Forgive us for anticipating those things that are, that, 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 that are, that are more uncertain than the certainty of your return. Help us to long for your return. Help us to live like that. Help us to live as people who have joy because you are coming back. Help us to be a people that declare who you are and what you've done to others so that they might hope in you as well, so that they might anticipate you. Make us a patient people. Make us a hopeful people because we know that salvation is nearer now than what we once believed. And Father, we love you. pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. 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 Thank you.